Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Hey, before... Uh... Alex, before you go off screen, I just want to acknowledge you. Uh, you know, Alex is, just makes all this happen, sends out reminders and set up the Zoom and has just been a great person to work with. So I, I just want to thank you. It's been a real pleasure to work with you these last six weeks. I'm sure you'll all join me in acknowledging Alex. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind. You, you know, if you want, you can unmute and say thank you. It's okay. It's, uh, you know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. She knows she knows you're appreciative. <laughs> Hi, Patty. <laughs> Sneaking in here. <laughs> I've um in addition to thanking Alex, also just, I want to take a moment and acknowledge um people may be aware of the news, uh Rav Shmuley, you know, the leader of Valley Beit Midrash is uh this week is sitting Shiva for his mother. His mother died a couple of days ago. And I know he's sitting Shiva uh up in Scottsdale. We we had a chance to be in touch. And so um, uh, Sandy, I think Sandy Anklowitz. Uh, so as is the custom, we'll just dedicate this learning, you know, to her memory. Hopefully, you know, she will uh, lift us up and we will do the same for her in return, have an aliyat neshama, uh, an ascendant uh, soul. You know, I was sitting with someone at lunch yesterday and he said, uh, somehow we were talking about Shmuley. I guess I mentioned I was teaching for VBM and he he said, that guy's Mamisha Lamed Vavnik, you know, like he's really one of the 36 righteous people in the world. So so today, about an hour or two ago, he texted me to, to apologize for not coming to the class. I said to him, you, you, you are literally a Lamed Vavnik. You're sitting shivering. You're worried about texting me to tell me you can't make it to the class. But that that's Shmuley. So just thinking of him, thinking of his family. And um, and in a fun, you know, I. I, I don't want to uh, worry. Maybe I should do Lahavdil. Lahavdil. I should make a separation. Uh, but at the same time, and I had this this thought all the last two weeks uh, for this this last piece, the the, the practice uh, practice one, and that is that uh, you know as much as anything else, this is a death practice. Um, as much as anything else, what what I've been leading up to and, and what I'll. Uh, you know, if we don't run out of time again, I'll, I'll guide us just gently through a very simple practice. It's, it's many other things, but it's also a death practice. And um, I mean, of course, first we know, right? I mean, the grounding beyond the theoretical framework I provided, which I'll come back to briefly in a moment, but beyond the theoretical framework, the grounding for this uh, this whole journey I've been kind of taking you on is is mystery, that's the grounding, right? That's practice zero. That's ground zero, as I look at my photograph from ground zero. Um, and uh, well, what greater mystery, right? I mean, unless you know, unless you have information uh, that you're you're withholding, please feel free to share. But it it just seems like it remains uh, a mystery of the of the ultimate kind. And at the same time. Even as as death, or we might even say the next moment, uh, is is an absolute mystery. You know, it's funny how you probably have had this experience where you hear an unusual thing a, a number of different times across your life from different people who you trust, 
you know. So on more than one occasion in my life, I'm not not I'm not a flood of of examples, but on more than one occasion at different points in my life, a person has uh, suggested to me that uh, that you know a- after we die we're everywhere. I mean, it made made me think probably before we were born we were everywhere too. Um, and so you know that's the move from practice zero to practice one, right? Practice zero is mystery. Practice one, as you're going to see as we move towards, it, is 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 everywhere. That that's the movement. That's the movement. Um, and uh, of course, I I also don't have any special information that I'm holding. But when I've heard a person say that, and I can think of two or three uh, people in particular at different times in my life who have said, you know after death you're everywhere or they're referring to somebody else as being everywhere um it just sounded true it sounded true and then uh, and then i've you know and maybe you've done this just i've just sat with that uh it, it seems it seems to be the case um seems to be the case so that I'll, I'll say that also, you know, when we're thinking about Sandy and maybe other people thinking about people that you've that you've lost or have, have, have died or maybe uh, um, someone I had a correspondence with offline, you know, talking about their own feelings about the end uh, coming soon. You know, all of those feelings um, just just want to acknowledge them, acknowledge them and. Uh, and um, and we'll see if we can kind of approximate uh, approximate that sense of being everywhere uh, as we move through today. Um, the other thing I want to say about this is just uh, just as an you know I, I started off I talked about this interplay with Judaism and Buddhism. You know, some, sometime in the last year, I I did a I worked through I finally got to the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Uh, which you know, which the Dalai Lama says is the highest yoga tantra. That's what he calls it. Uh, and um, you know, the the version that that was famous because of uh, I think probably became famous in America because of Timothy Leary and some other folks in the '60s. You know, that's not the whole of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. It's a much longer text, and there was a a, a serious translation undertaken and published. I don't know in the last 10, 15, 20 years. So I I work I was working through it. And leaving aside, uh, you know, the uh, the death practices, what's interesting to me is that the uh, the opening section of that book is a, an extended and I think tremendous um, um, consideration of the mind, right? The the preparation practice for the Tibetan death yoga uh, is. Uh, is a preparation of the mind is some kind of uh, coming to some kind of understanding of, 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 of what the mind is. And um, I, I, I found that compelling. Um, I think probably of all the things I've learned from my encounter with Buddhism, the one that feels most significant is the context of the mind, uh, which, uh, which I didn't get um uh in in Judaism I think in Judaism I got the context of the brain <laughs> um but not so much the mind this kind of this this wider uh, context within which all things arise 
So I, I like this idea also of of uh, of preparing the mind. Um, I'm preparing, in and not too long from now, I'm going to be uh, embarking on a going to spend a year in um, in a hospital setting, in uh, full time hospital chaplaincy work. And so much, I think, of what goes on uh, uh, that contributes to the discomfort that a person has in a hospital setting, sick, dying, um, is is the anxiety and the strain um, of being in that environment. And so much of the kind of chaplaincy, spiritual care work is about uh, is about easing the mind, is about cultivating a, a different kind of mind. So the practice we're moving towards, the practice that we'll kind of finish up with today is, is also a um, is also one such practice. It's a practice just for cultivating a certain orientation of the mind. Um, there are there are many others, probably countless others, uh, but this is one that I've I've landed on um, that I'm going to share. Uh, I want to say a, a, a word or two about theory to kind of bring the first half of the course into where we are now, and then we'll move forward. Um, you'll remember that I, I talked in the first, second, and third class, I tried to kind of contextualize the Torah, you know, the the, the world in which it appeared. Um, and you may remember last week or the week before, I talked about Deuteronomy as being the more dominantly mystical voice in the Torah. Um and last week, I, I shared some of those verses from Deuteronomy, and I also shared a verse from Isaiah um, that echoes that kind of mystical view, right? That that verse with, that says God creates, uh, you know, light and dark and good and evil. Uh, interestingly, that verse comes from a section of the book of Isaiah that is called Deutero-Isaiah, uh, which was written by an, another author. Um, and without going too far down the rabbit hole, I'll just say any time a, a biblical author has the first name Deutero, um, you know that there's mystical stuff to be found there. That, that's, that's all I need to say about that. Um, but what I, what, I, what I wanted to say more uh, about this theoretical framework was that, um, you know, one of the theories about the book of Deuteronomy or the, the, the larger portion of the book of Deuteronomy was that it was produced around the time of what is called the Josianic reforms. One of the late kings of Judah was King Josiah, Yoshiahu. Um, and if you read the stories in the book of Kings, um, you know, Josiah in, it, you know, puts in place a number of reforms to overthrow the previous idolatrous practices of the of the previous uh, monarchies. Um, and maybe that's the case, or maybe Deuteronomy was written after the destruction of the Babylonian temple, and that story was was used to kind of provide, you know, historical authority. Whatever the, whatever the, we don't really know, right? But there are, there are, there are different theories about that. Um, what, what can be said that, that's certain is that, uh, and this is probably true for, not probably this is uh true i would say uh is the is the theory i'm 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 sticking to for now is that it, it all appears in the context of a tumult right that, that, you remember all this stuff is going on dislocation destruction return rebuilding colonial rule right all of this stuff is going on 
And in some ways, it makes it very dramatic. In some ways, it makes it very mundane. Uh, because after all, that's what's what's always happening. That's always going on, right? Did you open the New York Times this morning? It's what's always going on, right? Sometimes it's a little closer. Sometimes it's a little further, right? But but the 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 re the reality in which the Torah appeared was both distinct and very familiar at the same time. What's interesting to me about the Torah as a mirror. And here I'm thinking about uh, Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, who tells that story about, about what's in the ark. It's a mirror, you know, thinking about the Torah as a mirror to reflect back on ourselves, you know, our own experience is that in the midst of tumult, there are lots of different ways a person can respond. A person as an individual and in a family and a community, there are lots of different ways you can respond. And if you look in the Torah and if you look in the Tanakh in general, all of all, many of those different ways of responding are all pr are present, right? Right. The you know late in the book of Numbers, the story of the war with Midian reflects the response of anger and the and the desire to to destroy in return for the pain that you've experienced. Yes, that's a response. You know, um, you know, you look at the the later chapters of the book of Deuteronomy, you you find poetry there, right? Another different different way of trying to respond. Uh, legislation, right? Taking a legalistic approach to try to, in some way, regain control in a world that seems like it's beyond control. And, and the list goes on. And the same is true in our world, right? We look around. You can look in the American context or anywhere else. There's a whole array of different ways that we can respond to the tumult that's all around us. Um, now, for what it's worth, uh, for what it's worth in my, you know, uh, my reading ac across time and, and space, um, it, it seems to me the, the response that the one that I'm kind of trying to suggest over the over the course of these six sessions, of course, I'm going to say this is the one I've chosen, but but for what it's worth, um, is the kind of response that seems to show up most frequently across cultures and across time as being one that will gird us well in times of tumult, right? Um, you can look ac across, across the historical record, human beings, uh, for as long as we have a record in every language, um, through every medium, uh, seem to share and, and here this is the perennialist and the universalist in me uh and i could be accused maybe of flattening in some ways in this context i i, I accept the accusation uh we find that themes like these the recognition of the mystery right the cultivation of humility of, of curiosity of the, the importance of waking up and, and being a force for good in the world and so on and so forth. These themes repeat themselves over and over again across time and across space, um, not because they uh, improve the balance of our bank account or they uh, they make the wrinkles, uh, you know, come in more slowly or they make us, you know, whatever it is, but because somehow even when the, within the context of the reality of our lives, which includes pain and discomfort, as well as joy and celebration, um, the collective wisdom of our species has said to us, 
based on our experience, we feel that these things prepare us to traverse this life as it is. They prepare us. That's that's why I've landed on 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 these themes. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm a I have an exhaustive knowledge of the Jewish tradition, but I've spent some time hanging around in Jewish ideas and Jewish texts, and uh, and this is where I've landed. And so um, and so that's why I'm sharing it with you. I guess I'm what I'm trying to say uh, to kind of put a bow on it and then just move into the final practice is. Um, here's what I've picked up along the way. That's it. <laughs> and and by the way, a good portion of it, I picked up from a lot of you people on the screen. So it's not like uh, there's nothing special going on here. It's just this process of sharing and listening and learning and trying to pay as much attention as possible to to uh, to how we how we how we make it through this. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think Norman Fisher said it right. The how we make it through this beautiful and tragic life. You know, but both are true. Both are true, and they're both true. It seems in, in, all the time. Maybe that's what Isaiah was talking about, right? So that's that's kind of a a very brief kind of overview of of what I the arc I've been on, where I've been trying to take us, and it brings us back to uh, to where we were last week, right? Practice one. So you remember this verse, right? The, Right, which contains the closing words of the Yom Kippur service. Remember, right? The, 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 the peak moment in the Jewish liturgical and ritual year in the calendar ends with the three words here, Adonai, Hu, Elohim. And they're in the context of this verse. You have been shown so that you would know um, that Adonai is the God. Um, I, I said that recently to someone, and they accused me of using the G word. So forgive me if that if that's a, if that triggers you. Uh, Adonai is the God. There is nothing other than God. Nothing other than God. So I think that this idea is reducible uh, in ways that are helpful to us uh, to a to a to one single word, and uh, it's best expressed, I think, in. Uh, here in the story of of Moses at the uh, at the burning bush. Now I arrived. I have to give credit where credit's due. I arrived at this insight because I was. You'll see Sandra. Sandra, give us a wave. Sandra's on the screen. I was having a conversation with Sandra. I don't know when it was. Three or four years ago, we we, we end up talking about the Torah fairly often. It was Parshat Shmot. It was the first parsha of the book of Exodus, and he just said that he said, "Why why is it why is it called names?" Why is it called names? And I and at the time uh, I didn't actually follow up with the question. It just like I don't know. It just rang my bell. Um, now I had the obvious answer. Obvious if you're familiar with the text, right? When you open the first chapter of the book of Exodus, it lists the descendants of Jacob, right? But there was something, and I don't I don't know if this was Sanders' intention. I don't think I ever asked him. Maybe you'll tell us now. I don't know. But I just thought, you know, maybe it was something else going on here. And so I I studied that chapter, the, the Parsha. It's six chapters long, the first six chapters of Exodus. And lo and behold, and they're not all here, there are 17 different names for God in, in Parshat Shemot. <laughs> in the Parsha that's called Names, in addition to all the descendants of Jacob, there are 17 different names of God in the Parsha. And that's a fascinating study. We could do that sometime. And each different name, if you read the context, you really learn something about what that name is doing, 
right? Like, why did they choose this name in this context? I'll give you one example. Um, in one of the cases, uh, uh, God is called Et HaElohim. Et HaElohim. Aleph Taf. It's an unusual word. It doesn't translate. Um, it's like a. It's like a double definitive article. But I looked around, and it turns out if you if you go and if you go deep in the lexicons, the way the word Et is often used is to indicate a very special closeness. Right. So Noah is described Noah walked especially closely with God. In Parshat Shmot, when does it say et ha-Elohim? When it's referring to the midwives. Of course, right? I mean, here are people who are risking their lives to save babies, right? So of course they're especially close. Okay, so that's one example. But there are 17 different names. Here, at the peak moment of the story of the burning bush, right, where Moses finally, you know, says, okay, you know, I'll go, right, after saying, no, don't send me, I'm not the person, send somebody else, you know, that he kind of haggles with God about going to Egypt, finally says, I'll go. He says to God, well, who should I say sent me, right? So this is where we, like, we, it's fun to, again, think about the author as well as the story, right? The author is trying to, tell a story about what name to call God. So that's a, there's a story inside a story. What the author is trying to do is to tell us who the God is that the author knows. Yes, but the author is using the story as the way to do that. Clearly, both are happening, right? It's happening on both levels. And in this moment in the story, it's all right here, right? It says, Vayomi Moshe El HaElohim, HaElohim, one of the names. Moses says to HaElohim, the God, right? We know that, right? Adonai Hu HaElohim, the God. So the author's telling us this piece of dialogue is about, it goes all the way down, right? This is the real stuff. Moses says to HaElohim, Hine Anochi. Now you know about that word. We've talked about that word, right? Anochi is. The Anochi of the of Mount Sinai is the Anochi of the of the true self, is the Anochi of the human divine. You remember all of that? Right? Hine Anochi Ba'el B'nai Yisrael. Right? When Anochi comes to the children of Israel, right? When Anochi, Moses is saying, when I, when I come to speak the truth to the children of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your uh, of your patriarchs, of your forefathers, of your ancestors has sent me. And they're going to say to me, what's his name? <laughs> what should I say to them? Right. So first there's two names there, right? And then we have Anochi, which is like, we're not sure, right? But Moses says, what should I, what should I, who should I say called me? Vayomer Elohim. That's a third name, right? It's not Ha Elohim, it's Elohim. Okay. Elohim says to El Moshe, Ehiyeh Asher Ehiyeh. You know that because you saw the Ten Commandments, right? I am that I am, right? Uh, but that's not a good translation, right? Ehiyeh Asher Ehiyeh, right? Probably translate better as, I will be that which I will be. It's future tense, right? That's, that's what God says to Moses. Ehiyeh Asher Ehiyeh, I'll be what I'll be. So first of all, it, it seems like that's an answer to Moses' question, but it's not an answer to his question. Because the verse goes on, God says, 
to Moses, this is what you should say. Ehyeh has sent me to you. She said to the children, Ehyeh, what? That which will be has sent me to you. Right? That which will be. We could say becoming, future-oriented, that which is yet to unfold. Right? Future-oriented. So, right? So, first of all, that's in, in the story. That's the first answer to Moses. Right? Step out from the the author saying, author saying, oh, when I I'm trying to tell you what God is, my first attempt is to tell you God is that which has not yet come to be, is Ehiyeh. Okay. So we could have ended there, but it doesn't end there, right? Vayome od Elohim El Moshe. And God said, further, right? So you can literally you can imagine the, the person's writing out, and then, and then another thought comes to his mind, he writes down the next verse. No, 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 no that's not it. God is not Ehiyeh. Right? God says further to Moshe. I'd like to think that the person that was writing the story, I'd like to think their name was Moshe. Right? Kotomar el b'nei Yisrael. No, this is what you should say to the children of Israel. Right? Strike that one. <laughs> say this instead. Adonai Elohei Avoteichem Elohei Avraham Elohei Yitzchak Elohei Yaakov. Right? Adonai, the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me, right? It's a different answer, right? Who has sent me? The past, where you came from, right? Your heritage, yes, right? So you have this, you know, and then the verse closes, right? So the, the, as I think I said last week, right? So the simple reading is the, the Zeh, this, refers to that very long name of God that we just offered. I would like to suggest that that's not the case. That one of the other names of God and the one that the author lands on is Zeh. After suggesting, right, that, that God is the becoming and then saying, no, no, God is the past, the author says, no, no, Zeh, this this shall be my name forever, and Zeh, this, shall be my memorial for all eternity. Not the, not the past, because, of course, the past is gone. God can't be there. Not the future, because the future doesn't exist yet, right? This is the, this is the argument against omniscience, right? Even God doesn't know what's going to come, because it hasn't unfolded yet, right? So not the past, because it's gone, and not the future, because it's not here yet. All that's left. All that's left is, is Zeh, Zeh, right? This, this. Now you find this, uh, this, you know, the four levels of interpretation of, of, of the Torah, right? Pshat, the simple reading, Drash, interpretive, Remez, the hinting, and then Sod, secretive. So I, this feels like it's on the level of Sod. Um, but in some ways, I also think, it's also pshat. It's it's both simple and also appears to be secretive at the same time. You find this 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 word used in this kind of suggestive way in other places in in, in the text, right? Here's one you might be familiar with, right? Oziva zimrat yak. The the crossing the 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 sea, right? The sea is split. The children of Israel are crossing the sea, making their way to Sinai. Oziva zimrat yak. My strength and the song of yah, right? Which might be just me, my breath right? My strength, my physical body, and my breath. 
They will be my salvation. You remember that verse we saw from Deuteronomy last week, right? It's not in the heavens. It's not across the ocean, right? It's right here. Everything you need is right here. You have everything you need, right? This, this, I mean, if I've already just said that my body and my breath, or even if it's my song, right? I have all I need for salvation. Then what is God other than this? This is my God, and I will enshrine this God, right? The God of my Father, and I will exalt God, right? This, that's a one. Number two, right? Here's another one, right? This is from the Psalms. Right? Should an army besiege me, my heart would have no fear. Remember I said earlier, right? those moments of anxiety, Right? Those are moments when an army besieges you, right? The fear, you don't know what's coming next, right? The tumult of the world, right? And even if war beset me, bezot ani boteach. In this, I am certain, I am secure, right? Bezot, right? We could just bring ourselves to this, Right, with, with all all the noise all around us, right? In this, we can be certain, we can be secure. From Eicha, right? Remember, what I, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I said I quoted that great Talmud. Uh, I think I was talking to Irwin, right? I quoted that lovely line in the Talmud, right? That if you find it in one place, it's false, but if you find it in lots of places, right? So here it is: Exodus, Psalms, Lamentations. It's all. I mean, there are many others. Zot Ashiv El Libi Al Kain Ochil, right? It says here, Zot returns me to my heart, right? So when I'm when I'm in the, when I'm in, in this, I can return to my heart, Al Kain Ochil, right? Therefore I have hope. Right? So this, and you'll notice, by the way, this is one of the lovely things about, you know. You know, Hebrew is a beautiful language, but one of its great challenges is that it's gendered. And it's the 21st century, and we've now all acknowledged, well, not all of us, but most of us have acknowledged that uh, there appear to be more than two genders. And we need to find ways to use language that is inclusive of lots of different types of people. Um, Zeh is very nice because Zeh and Zot, you know, it's not, it's not, it's in the feminine and it's in the masculine. And, you know, it gets us halfway there at least, right? It's not. It's not only in the masculine, as in, as is often the case, but you find this this thising. I'm going to say you find this thising throughout our tradition, and then of course you should be no surprise we find it in in the Jewish mystical tradition. And here I just love, I just love these words from Daniel Matt. You know uh, that name maybe he's, he's the the translator of the Zohar. You know one of the great scholars of Jewish mysticism in the world today. Right? He wrote. About 30 years ago, God is not somewhere else hidden from us, but rather right here, hidden from us. How then can we find God? A clue is provided by one of the many names of Shekhinah. She is called ocean, well, garden, apple orchard. She is also called Zot, which means simply this. God is right here. In this very moment, fresh and unexpected, taking you by surprise, God is this. So, so the practice, the practice is simply um, 
abiding in this, abiding in this. So let's let's try this. Let's try this, this. Let's try this, thising. <laughs> um, so uh, if you're willing, I invite you to just, um, you know, sit comfortably. If you haven't been sitting comfortably for the last 37 minutes, I'm sorry. Now is the time. Comfortably just means uh, um, certainly comfortably, but somewhat alert. You know, as I've, as I've said once before, if you nod off, um, that's fine because you'll be you'll be getting something out of the experience. But if you want to have a sense of the practice, then you want to be comfortable, but also alert. Let's just take a moment um, and let's activate our uh, interoceptive awareness. We'll activate our interoceptive awareness. So the simple way to do that is to just become aware that the body is breathing. Just becoming aware that the body is breathing. And uh, if you're not exactly sure how to do that, I'll uh, let me offer just a couple of simple instructions. Is, is this, you know, one of three places it's uh, easiest to find your breath. You know, the first is in your abdomen. And you just take a moment and, uh, and feel how your, your abdomen, your belly, how it moves when you breathe. You can feel that it expands when you breathe in and then contracts as you exhale. And just, just feel it. Just notice. Another place you can find your breath is in your chest. You can feel your chest rising as you breathe in and lowering as you breathe out. And if you want to try to feel both at the same time, you can... You can drop your attention to your solar plexus and you can feel your belly and your chest kind of moving up and away from each other as you breathe in, up and away, opening, and then coming back together as you exhale. Just feeling your whole torso breathing. Last, last place we can look is, uh, is at your nose. Just feel the air coming into your nostrils as you breathe in. And out as you exhale. So just, just becoming aware of the body. So hopefully now that you're settled a little bit, kind of have your body in the forefront of your mind, let's just uh, work on our sensory awareness. So take a moment while you're listening to me and just see what taste do you have in your mouth? What taste do you have in your mouth? I had an apple about a half hour ago. I can still taste it a little bit. I wonder what, what you can taste or if there's dryness in your mouth. Maybe there's some tingling there. Feel a little scratch maybe at the top or the back of your throat. Just see how does it taste. Now let's see if you can... Can you find a smell just where you're sitting? You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. But is there, is there a smell somewhere? Just breathing in. I read this morning that, that silence actually has a sound. So maybe 
maybe no odor actually has a smell. I'm, I'm unsure, but just finding a smell. Okay, now let's go to your sense of touch. Just notice where you come into contact with something. Maybe you can feel your feet against the floor or inside your socks. Or you can feel the chair against your body. Just feeling the sensation of your body in contact with other objects. Maybe you can feel some tingling or some waves. Maybe you can feel warmth in some areas of contact and coolness in others. How about sound? I imagine you can hear my voice. What else can you hear? What other sounds are coming in? And now, uh, and if your eyes are closed, you're going to want to softly open them up for this one. Now let's do your sense of sight. Just, just rest your eyes on an object and just know that you're looking at it. And now move to another object and just know that you're looking at that object. And let's do another one, just resting your eyes on another object. So now your eyes are open. Let's, let's work on proprioceptive awareness. Now just take in your body in space. Just notice the room that you're in how far you are from certain objects, how close you are to others. Just, just noticing that you're in this space. It's like a, an actual sized diorama all around you. These objects in space. Okay, now we're gonna exercise our imagination. And you can keep your eyes closed or open, it's up to you. Let's exercise our imagination. Bring to mind Take your mind on a little tour of the building you're in. Maybe you're in your home. And you can just imagine the rest of the home. You can go room by room, just bringing, bringing the house you're in into mind. You can do it with as much detail as you'd like. Here you're, bringing, you're beginning to expand your mind space. Your mind is now encompassing the space that's greater than the room you're in. Maybe you have the kitchen, the bathroom, living room, objects, just taking in and imagining the house or the building you're in. And now you can expand beyond there. Bring into your mind your neighborhood, the streets you know so well, other houses, trees, bus stops, stores, parks, just gradually expanding your mindscape to include ever larger portions of the world around you. I'm up here in Northern California and 
I'm thinking of the giant redwoods and the magnolia trees expanding to include the, the part of the city you live in and then across to take in the expanse. I'm thinking of the Pacific Ocean, which isn't too far west of me. Moving up through Northern California, down to the Southwest, just expanding your mind to include what you know of the region in which you live. And then further across, across the United States, bringing that image you know so well into mind, this vast country, different people, different animals, different climates. Just imagining the vastness of it. And then across oceans to the west, into Asia, to the east, into Europe, and zooming out like that satellite image of the pale blue dot, clouds and oceans and land. Just holding in your mind the entire earth and its vastness. That inside the biosphere and the solar system, and the moon, and the planets, and our sun swirling in the Milky Way, along with almost 4,000 other solar systems, 30 billion planets. 300 billion stars, just holding the vastness, the great expanse of the Milky Way. And that, inside our universe, where as many as 200 billion galaxies are present in the observable universe. And the light that's been traveling towards us for more than 13 billion years. holding as best we can in our mind, the totality of all of it, the totality of this. And even as we hold all of this in our mind, making space for yet more mystery at the edge of it, all around it, pervading it. This mystery. I don't know where you are, but uh, maybe come back. You can wiggle your fingers, wiggle your toes a little bit. Just come back to, to the room you're in, come back to the body you're in. So that expanse, it's always there. The expanse is always there. And it seems to me that, uh, that it's in those moments of expansion. Who knows what can happen? Who's no, who knows what can happen? So that's practice one. Practice zero is mystery. Practice one is this. You could do it at any time. You could do it at any place. That's, that's, my, uh, that's my offering to you.
that's my offering to you. Uh, I feel so um, surprised, Alex, with my as my witness every every week when we're in the waiting room. I'm always so surprised that that people come back. So I just want to express my gratitude that uh, that people have been showing up this last six weeks. Um, you know, to 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 engage and listen, and I guess to some extent put up with me. I'm just grateful. I just want to thank you as well for leading us in six wonderful sessions. It was a pleasure to learn with you. You know, for, I, for, for years, I uh, would listen to Krista Tippett's On Being. Maybe for people to listen to a lot of those episodes, you, if you, I listen to always the unedited version. You know, she releases two versions. And a few times there were these moments when, like, the tech would just stop working, you know? So I feel like I just had a Krista Tippett moment. That's like very exciting to me, but I, but I don't know what to, uh, I don't know how to account for it. I'm sorry. I can't hear folks. My speakers are working. Everything is good. Um, here's what I'm going to do. I'd, uh, I'd love to hear from you, Sarah. I'd love to hear what you had to say and others, but I, uh, I can't account for why the sound is not working on my end. So I think I'm just going to end with, uh, with the gratitude and uh, end as the Jews always end when they want to express gratitude. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, shehechianu v'kiyemanu, v'higianu lazman hazeh. Blessed are you, Adonai, the great mystery, this, for giving us life, for allowing us to linger here for some time, and for bringing all of us, this group of people right here on the screen, together at this time. And if you're so inclined, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Bye, folks. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybeitmidrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.